Welcome to the Ad Aster podcast. Today we have with us Pietro Omodeo. Uh, welcome and thank you for accepting our invitation. Um, uh, Pietro is an historian of science and philosophy and works with historical epistemology. Uh, he specializes mainly in the early modern period in his research and he's currently leading an ERC project on cosmology in um, the 17th century. Perhaps we can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to see you again because yeah. we have been seeing each other in uh, different uh, circumstances and it, it, is, it is a pleasure to talk talking to you again. Yeah, we have an occasion to update and, <laughs> and yeah. continue our conversation. Yes. Um, so um, please let us know a little bit more about your research and your research projects. Um, Yes, gladly. So thank you again. Um, so I work basically on the history of cosmology. This is one of my main research topics. And the, the group in Venice works on, on many aspects of early modern um, discourses on the cosmos, on the order of nature, on the stars. And I was glad to, to be invited to this talk, to this conversation, to uh, to see uh, how astrology enters this picture. And of course, uh, early modern science uh, includes cosmology, astrology as an important uh, component. Uh, I have to confess that myself, having worked a lot on astronomy, I encountered astrology many, many times, uh, but I still feel uh, I haven't the depth to, to understand many aspects of it. Uh, still, I'd like to share with you some, some research uh, that might be of interest to you and to those who follow you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, one of the things that uh, you have been uh, studying is, and I'm very curious about this, Cartesian astrology. Yes, so I, I would take this occasion to, to speak about my research on, on, um, on Cartesianism, in particular on, on German Cartesianism. It's a research trend that I started a few years ago when I was in Germany. Uh, working on other topics, but and that led me to um, to the Berlin and Potsdam archives, so archives related to the history of uh, Brandenburg and Prussia. And as it is often the case in archives, I encountered materials that were unexpected to me and became one important strand of research uh, for me. Uh, it's uh, materials on a, on a German Cartesian, actually a Polish emigre of Bohemian origins. Uh, who studied in the Netherlands and became acquainted with Cartesian philosophy in the 17th century. And I think it's, uh, it's a very interesting case uh, because, um, because apart from embracing or as part of his embracing the new mechanic philosophy of Descartes, uh, which he defended and disseminated in the German territories, uh, he was also a keen supporter of astrology. And the mixing of these two elements um, is quite curious to me. Uh, it was at least unexpected. We know now of other cases, uh, but when I first encountered it, it was sort of surprise. Yeah, yes. I've heard the other case I've heard uh, was with Gadrois, 
uh, Claude Claude Gaudrois, who wrote uh, small uh, papers on, on yes, um, Gaudrois was um, was this French uh, Cartesian who uh, who wrote a discourse on on starry influences accorded to Cartesian philosophy. It was the 70s of the uh, 17th century. My, so to say, my hero or my, my <laughs> this, the person I'm, I've been studying, um, whose name is Johannes Placentinus, actually Kowacek, um, Latinized as Placentinus. Uh, he uh, defended Cartesian astrology a bit earlier. Mm. And it might be interest, of interest to you that it was uh, more it comes more emerges more from from his practice than from from a specific tract dedicated to Cartesian astrology. In, in other words, I have some publications of his that uh, and some letters that defend this uh, this connection of Cartesian natural philosophy, the mechanic understanding of nature according to the Karst principles of nature and uh, astrological practice. Mm -hmm. And so if I can, I'd like to, uh, to share a few images uh, with you. So this is the sort of, of cover slide of, of the images I'd like to, mm -hmm. uh, to discuss with you. So it's about the mechanization of astrology, that's how I called it. Uh, since it's, uh, it's a reframing of astrology by this person, Ioannis Placentinus, uh, a reframing or a new foundation, that's his idea, new foundation on as I said, on Cartesian uh, principles. And so here it is the sort of, of... So here you can see um, one of his texts uh, that I suppose is, looks uh, familiar to historians uh, uh, of astrology. It's an observation of a comet and an occultation of Aldebaran. So that's the, uh, the topic. And these two um, events are described mathematically uh, by Placentinus, and they include um, they include uh, horoscopes and also attempts to um, to make parallels with other historical moments. Mm -hmm. So there is a sort of astrological analysis of the of the phenomena and accompanied with cases in history that are considered to be relevant for a complete assessment so you have here on the on the bottom perhaps you can see that there is yeah. the new foundation of rome yeah. 572 uh before christ mm -hmm. um and the other one is Byzantium, um, the, the fall of Byzantium. Oh, okay. And uh, on the top is the the comet. Exactly, you see. Oh, so yeah. here you have um, Eclipses Aldebaran, 1664. You see here. Mm -hmm. And here the, the comet, Primum Visus. So the Mm -hmm. uh, so, so seen for the first time first sighting yeah. first sighting yeah. yes. and that's when the horoscope is discussed mm -hmm. I wanted to start with this image because um, it leads us immediately to an astrological context and 
the same time, as I said, the astrological topic theme is clear. The practice is is uh, is there. The mathematical knowledge too, as you can see from observations and so on. Um, what is uh, particular uh, is the, the cultural context of this. So here you are the, the publication. And terrible again, cometed terribly. <laughs> look at that. This is the terrible comet. Um, and the eclipse of the royal star, Aldebaran. Mm -hmm. So it has a lot of resonances with political topics. Um, if you look carefully, or not so, that carefully, actually, it, it emerges immediately. It's, it's a text that is bilingual, Latin and, and German. Mm -hmm. um, it's Latin, especially for the technical parts. So mathematics is in Latin. Uh, whereas the, the interpretation, the description, so all that is discursive, is in both languages, Latin and, and German. So it also points to different readerships. Oh, that, mm -hmm. that is interesting. Yes, the 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 Latin technical parts for specialists, mm -hmm. and then the other one in common language. In mm -hmm. this case, German yeah. for everybody. Yeah, that, that's yeah. good because I was I've just finished studying a manuscript uh, for my PhD in which he, he when he comes to the judgment he shifts from Portuguese. To Latin. Oh, that's a So he gives the judgment in Latin exactly for the, the opposite reason. So it is not accessible mm -hmm. to those who, who are unable to understand what he means. Oh, that is a different, yeah, exactly. different, different strategy. Yeah. 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 I suppose um, from other cases that um, the technical part is not that unaccessible to somebody who doesn't know Latin because it's numbers. Mm -hmm. ah. basically <laughs> yeah. and geometry uh, i say that be um, because i was struck many years ago when i encountered the, the uh, ursus translation of copernicus in german um the actually the yeah the ursus translation of of uh, copernicus in german it was a translation only of the text whereas all tables were left in latin mm -hmm. uh, since the the reader could not so the german speaking reader without knowledge of latin could read the numbers but could not read the, yeah. the text and that was i think it's a it might be a similar case i don't think there is it's a, i don't think there is any reason for censorship here mm -hmm. because we are in uh, in german territories where uh, astrology is well established um, it is not problematic from a religious viewpoint mm -hmm. unlike other contexts so, um, so, and, and that might even explain in part the, um, the existence of, of these Cartesian astrologists without big issues, especially exactly in this context where astrology was well established and not really uh, censored as in other settings. Yeah, like the Catholic uh, area, yes. Mm -hmm. Or even, I mean, Catholic Calvinist yeah. uh, criticism. So in, I, I suppose that the context helped him to uh, to continue um, pursuing this uh, this this particular project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is another text of his that I would also like to show you. Um, it's also in German. Uh, it's about winds, so temp sort of tempest that mm -hmm. uh, that happened, and you also have uh, the astrological chart to on, on the right on the left you have the, the frontispiece um, it's interesting that it is a physical astrological uh, report Bericht. Uh, it's a report uh, it's physical and astrological in the sense as one gets reading the text that 
There is the astrological, mathematical astrological part, which is important to, uh, for the interpretation, uh, as well as the physical, which is the explanation. So the physical explanation is a, as a, as I can anticipate, is a, is a Cartesian one. So it's based on efficient causes, matter, motions, and their laws according to the cart. Whereas the astrology is, um, so in, in, a, in a way, the, the Cartesian physics is the new background for, uh, for astrology, giving a different physical explanation of well, astrological processes. Would you say that this physical Cartesian uh, background, as you call it, uh, replaced the Aristotelian uh, basis? Uh, yes, I, I think that's the, the, that's the project. Mm -hmm. So the project is to have a new physics, uh, that is accorded to um, to astrology, more or less traditional. I say more or less traditional because there are also changes in astrology due to the new physics. Mm -hmm. At least I could detect one, uh, but significant one, I think. But um, but uh, in general, in general terms, it, it's about having a scientific, as uh, Placentinos claimed, uh, scientific astrology, scientific in the sense that it's observational and. Um, and based on causal explanations, which are sounds with nature, according to him, this could not be achieved through Aristotelianism. It had to be achieved through um, through the new Cartesian philosophy. Mm -hmm. The story is a bit more complex, actually. But uh, if you have questions, uh, yeah. well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But uh, aren't there any uh, kind of points in common between? the older base and now this new because some, some things are i would say observational it's something that you just observe and uh is it completely different or do they have something in common so my impression now speaking of of, of cartesians in general in, in general um i have the impression that many of them don't reject so to say facts uh, facts meaning uh, well-established connections or what they assume to be well-established connections that have been traded um, but they need to explain it differently so in other words in many cases not it's not all cases but in several cases it's not only in astrology for instance uh, in medicine mm -hmm. uh, or even even in in, uh, in certain contexts like um, let's say let's call it for convenience psychosomatic medicine uh, I found Cartesians after Placentinos, but also Placentinos, but also in Germany, who um, who were Protestants, so they didn't accept saints, they didn't accept miracles to relics and so on, but they accepted the fact um, that uh, some people get cured through relics and and uh, and by praying saints as the Catholics do. So for Protestants, this was a form of superstition. Um, and they claim that it's superstition. On the other hand, they, they saw the fact and they, then they, they found explanations to, to explain. Explanation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they didn't deny the fact, they, they give, give a different explanation. Yeah. I remember uh, Descartes wrote also the, um, I don't know how to say it in English, but something like the treatise on the passions of the soul. Mm -hmm. So it's also something that it's kind of difficult to, to fit into, but maybe could help with this kind of cures through uh, prayer or miracles. So because he, he does give this mechanical explanation for all the states of mind and 
sadness and all sorts of things like tears i remember this yeah. and I, i read this when i was very young and i thought it was extremely funny <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. No, actually that, that's something that um that cultural historians have to keep in mind that the intentions or even the work of the author uh leads to various reception lines and the the text you mentioned la passion de l'âme uh, is really one of the texts that was uh, widely received and discussed in in these days as something that allowed precisely the, to make the connection between uh mental states passions and 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 physical um conditions Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that is that doesn't fit the you know the alleged alleged dichotomy of the mental and the bodily in Cartesian philosophy. So it, I mean it could lead to that, but it's not always the case in medicine. It's certainly not the case. Uh, psychosomatic medicine, in many ways, was to, uh, relied uh, on on Cartesianism on that connection that sometimes is considered not to be part of of the Cartesian philosophy. Um, and here you are, uh, a text uh, one. Uh, this, this is a sort of pamphlet-like university defense of Descartes. It's called um, Descartes Triumphans. If you see that, it's a bit small here. No? Descartes Triumphans. Okay. That's it. You see the, on the top? Yeah, Descartes yeah. Triumphans. Uh, Principia Philosophia Cartesiana. Mm-hmm. It's university disputations di- dis- defended by Placentino's pupils while he was professor of mathematics at the University of Frankfurt on Oder uh, in Brandenburg, appointed in, in the early 50s. And there he started to fight to establish Cartesianism and Cartesian ideas, especially natural philosophical ones, uh, against um, Aristotelian critics um, who relied on the Melanchthonian tradition and regarded this new physics, this new philosophy as... um, as infringing against the statutes of the university and its tradition. So there is a sort of, of complex story of, of, of a Cartesian fight uh, against um, um, more Melanchthonian scholastic um, mm-hmm. scholars. And this is to show you the two faces, or at least two of the faces of Placentinus, his defense in a university setting of Descartes and his um, Uh, his astrological work, the one I, I just showed you. And Let me ask you something. Um, when um, uh, this one was to, to defend Cartesianism against, so to say, Aristotelianism, and how does, I don't know if this question makes much sense, but um, Aristotelianism was already confronted, so to say, with these Neoplatonic movements that uh, were already in the move, so to say, before mm-hmm. Cartesianism. How does this third element, Neoplaton- Neoplatonism, mm-hmm. fit or confront mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with Cartesianism? Or do they just ignore um, it? So that, that's an important element in in Placentino's work. I will, I will point to that. Uh, okay. but, but that's an interesting question and it relates very much to different contexts. So, Um, in the late 16th century, there is this revival of Platonic, uh, I mean, it started earlier, but uh, it culminated in the 16th century in Italy, this Platonic uh, legacy, very widespread and reinterpreted by scholars who were incredibly original, like Patrizzi, you know, or even uh, Bruno or Campanella, those sort of philosophers um, who 
took many ideas from from Neoplatonic philosophy and clashed with the with the Aristotelian uh, tradition. Um, of course, there is a lot of Ficinian legacy in in all that, so that leads us one century earlier. In Ge in Germany, especially in these Protestant universities, I have insight. I think the Melanchthonian tradition is much much stronger. The Melanchthonian tradition, to me, implies. Uh, sort of methodological Aristotelianism, not too literal, or at least a bit distant from scholastic um, developments. So it relates much more directly on the Aristotelian corpus and, um, and doesn't really accept you know, all those scholastic strands that were uh, part of what was considered the, the medieval um, tradition. Neoplatonism is less present there. So ideas via, like the anima mundi and so are, are, are less uh, strongly um, widespread apart from cases of reception. So for instance, Jean Fernel is very present. And with Jean Fernel, we have platonic ideas entering, uh, entering uh, medicine received by scholars like Sennert in Wittenberg. So that there is a sort of subcutaneous platonic tradition there. Uh, but in the case of Sennert, for instance, it's it's well merged with the Aristotelian uh, context. Okay. With Placentinos, it's a different thing. Um, he was rather compared, and his ideas, actually Cartesian ideas, were rather compared with Ramism. Mm -hmm. uh, since Ramism was um, was a sort of anti-Aristotelian approach to culture and science. Uh, so uh, it already encountered uh, cases of, of uh, struggles and censorship in German territories. Melanchthon, for instance, was completely against Ramism and many followers, Aristotelian methodological followers in the German university. And Ramism also came from, a, or it, it had the flavor of some Calvinist connection because of course, Ramos was himself a Calvinist Mm -hmm. So the car coming from the Netherlands, from the German viewpoint, could also be considered to be connected in some way with uh, with Calvinist settings. So there are these sort of strange uh, cultural reception lines, and um, and on the top of it, the anti-Aristotelianism mm -hmm. yes. was problematic. Um, and um, Placentinus, in the end, uh, adopted this strategy, the strategy that you can see from the cover of this uh, disputation that I'm showing here. Mm -hmm. um, this is a disputation that Placentinus defended in 16, 1656 after he received uh, the support of the, of the electoral prince of Brandenburg, who was the, the chief or the political uh, authority that also ruled over the University of Frankfurt on the other. And Placentinus received from the prince the right to, to freely teach Cartesianism. And that's the moment in which um, he presented a sort of list of theses that argued for the, the harmonization or the concordance between Aristotle and Descartes. Ah, concordance. But you see, it's called syncretismus, yeah? syncretismus yeah. philosophicus. Yeah. I think there are more sincere cases, perhaps, than this one. 
<laughs> because you know there is a lot of literature on uh, on scholastic Cartesianism and forms of uh, interaction between Cartesianism and scholasticism. In this case, I really have the impression that it's a sort of provocation. It says, okay, I have the power now or the right to to defend the card, and I'll show you that even the card skepticism can be accorded to um, to so the cogito ergo sum or the methodological doubt that all finds some reference in the Aristotelian corpus. So it's rather Aristotle read as a Cartesian rather than, than the other way around. Yes. <laughs> so he, he, he was already um, in a safe place, so to say, academically, he decided to, to write this. Okay. And he also became the, the, the mathematician of the electoral prince of Brandenburg. Uh, which is a good situation. Which is I'm... a very good situation, and it's not irrelevant, perhaps, uh, to his astrological practice. Um, I don't have evidence of horoscopes cast for the for the prince or for the court. Actually, they were Calvinists. So, again, I'm not sure uh, what the what the situation was. So it, it was a strange situation in which you have the the ruler, Calvinist, and the subjects Lutherans. Mm. And in between, people like uh, Placentinus, professor of mathematics, inspired by Cartesian philosophy, um, but probably neither Calvinist nor Lutheran nor Catholic, but rather either a Bohemian brother, probably a Bohemian brother, because that's um, uh, that's his family origin. Okay. So quite a mixture. <laughs> and he exchanged he exchanged also with Socinians. Um, uh, since he came from Poland, Poland was the land of Socinianism in those days. And that's also interesting for the astrology issue because um, Socinians rejected astrology. So also other Polish people who corresponded with Placentinos at some point um, discussed his uh, astrological convictions, which Placentinos defended. And um, it's also clear that uh, the Socinian context was a context of, let's say, with a word that is very much used with, of marginalization of astrology. It, mm -hmm. It's really explicit in, in some exchanges between Placentinos, on the one hand, and, um, and his country fellow, um, Lubyanetsky, who was the author of a huge book of data about uh, comets in the late 17th, um, the late 60s of the 17th century. We have more, you know, mathematical technical works like this Geotomia, that's a book on, on the measurement of uh, longitude and other similar problems of uh, cosmography, uh, which Placentinos dedicated to his protector, Elizabeth, of Bohemia, who is the dedicatee, if not the inspirer of uh, Descartes' Le Passion de l'âme. Ah. She was a, a, a patron of philosophers, a correspondent of thinkers, religious radicals, and uh, she, she knew, she, she was a relative of the Prince of uh, Brandenburg, Friedrich Wilhelm of Brandenburg. She was also the protector of Placentinos. This is a nice picture of her as a young lady. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So this is uh, Placentino's last writing, the last one I could find. It's in the, um, and let me remember, it's in the, I think it's in the secret state archive of 
Prussia in Berlin. Um, and that's a, a technical mathematical text written to Elizabeth of Fals, so the the Cartesian protector or the dedicatee of, of mm -hmm. important works by Descartes. Um, this text is interesting because it was written in 1666 after, just to tell you a bit of the biography, I will tell you more about the biography of Placentinus, but that's the, the last writing after 66, um, when he was declared mentally mad, included mm -hmm. and taken away from all posts and even from civil life in many ways. Mm. So, so Placentinus' career ended with a sort of tragedy he lived on several years, but 1666 is the end of his um, of his scientific activity and teaching activity, at least as far as I can tell. And but there is still this text, which is a technical mathematical one, again on longitude uh, issues, uh, so on issues that were very important in those days. And in my view, it's also a sign he wanted to give to the external world while he was recluded as a mentally mad person uh, that he was still capable of reasoning and he is writing to Elizabeth of Pals as his protector uh, perhaps able to uh, to intercede for him or mediate and have him uh, freed so this is uh, the geography of Placentino's uh, life and career he was born in Poland Leszno, Lissa in Latin, that's the town of Comenius. Mm -hmm. Actually, where Comenius headed to and established his, um, his uh, famous school. I suppose that Placentinus, as a Bohemian himself, at least of origins, attended that gymnasium. So that's where he started his, uh, his education. Then from Leszno, he moved to the important gymnasium of Gdańsk, where he studied mathematics and astronomy with Eichstätt. A famous mathematician in those days, a bit earlier than Hevelius as an important figure in the in the local settings. Then he studied in Königsberg, still in Prussia, then went to the Netherlands and where he studied in Groningen and Leiden. And that's where he became a fervent Cartesian. He moved back to Germany. Uh, after a short, a brief stay in Heidelberg, he became professor in Frankfurt on Oder. This is the, the world he he lived in. Yeah. The, the dates. 1629 is his birthday. 1683, uh, his date of when he died. And here are the different mm -hmm. places and stops in his wandering career. It's not only a medieval thing, but in the early modernity, scholars, clerks, and, and students traveled a lot. This is a sort of Northern European pattern, though connecting uh, basically Protestant centers. See, basically Protestant because there is a lot of flexibility also on confessional issues. Mm -hmm. This is something that was published in 1683 at his death, uh, claiming that that's verses. I, I took just the last part of some of a poem dedicated to him, uh, celebrating Placentinus, saying Ioannem Placentinum, it's the acquisitive, there is something coming before that, Philosophum Astronomum Mathematicum. So he has all these qualities, not astro astrologer, but you know, astronomer mm -hmm. can, can mm -hmm. comprise it. 
um, in philosopher Aristotle, that's funny. <laughs> He's praised as, a, as an, an Aristotelian. In astronomo Copernico, okay, that's that's correct. He was a defender of Copernican astronomy. Mm -hmm. In Mathematico Archimedem, which again is sounds rather rhetoric than uh, than mm -hmm. real. He was not really dealing with mechanics, but he was uh, or with uh, other aspects of mathematics, but rather with um, with physics, new physics, the principles of nature, and uh, astronomy plus um, uh, astrology and connected. Uh, disciplines. In uno omnes. <laughs> in uno omnes, so it was a good synthesis. He, he was an interesting person. He's not the the major thinker of his time, but still uh, a very interesting figure and probably he influenced many students of his who could attend his classes. Mm -hmm. And here we come to another text. I'm showing you many pictures today. Uh, this is um, a Dissertatio Philosophica, so it comes also from a university context. It's a dissertatio philosophica on, let's say, on the stellar origin of life. Mm. We are entering an almost astrological realm. I say almost astrological because it's not necessarily astrological, but it already prepares us to understand the, 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 the setting of Placentino's astrology. Um, it is about the origin, the, the germination of the seed, the development of of life and the, the, the way life is sustained through, um, through the stellar action. Uh, the idea comes from an author that I already mentioned, from Fernel, this platonic medicine, the idea that there is a, a distant action of the stars, a, a sort of heat that, uh, that lets the seed germinate and, and produce um, living uh, beings. Mm -hmm. Um, it is an idea that we find also in Senert, and here it's Cartesianized, so it's mechanized too. Uh, Placentinus assumes that the origin of life is the stellar heat, just as Fresnel would have it, but the stellar heat is explained as the ethereal element of Cartesian physics. Okay. One more case of the transformation of doctrine. They adapt, they adapt the ideas, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Uh, this has uh, this dissertation uh, raised a lot of polemics uh, because it cast into doubt one crucial assumption of Aristotelianism or Aristotelian, um, let's say between us, biology. Uh, the idea that life is originated by the individual soul and the individual soul is the life of the organic body. Mm. For Placentinus, the soul as a Cartesian is just a mental. It's the mental realm of the, uh, the cogitaciones. Mm -hmm. So life cannot be explained through the mental. That's what he assumes. And not through the soul, because the soul is only human. It is not shared by other living beings. So um, what remains? Um, it remains the, um, the heating mechanism of a Cartesian-like mechanic body in which uh, it's the stellar heat that, that starts the process and keeps it running. Uh, it is of Neoplatonic origin, uh, but as you see, it becomes a, a different thing. It becomes a Cartesian doctrine, which was very much disputed. Mm -hmm. Presentinus became a, the target of attacks from the University of Wittenberg. So he was in Frankfurt, Brandenburg, Wittenberg, Saxony, 
it is the place of his um, critics, among whom most important is Georg Kaspar Kischmeier. You see a small portrait of it. Mm -hmm. And they publish between Frankfurt and, and Saxony a lot of texts, disputations and counter disputations to discuss the soul, the origin of life, Cartesian principles, Aristotelian principles. Um, what resulted was a sort of incompatibility between the two uh, conceptions, at least of the soul and, uh, and of, uh, of life. As you see, it's the year 1659, 1660. I'm not going to discuss all these publications. I went through them. Uh, I think the, the gist of the, of, the, of the topic is th there are polemics going on about the action of the stars not necessarily astrological, but as I said, with, uh, with close connection to astrological issues. Mm -hmm. You have also this sort of publications, publications of the life of man, Vita Omnes. These are by a certain Samuel Henschel, who also came from Lissa and was a professor of philosophy in Wittenberg, mm -hmm. coming from the same town as Placentinus, different university, uh, engaged in a, in a list of of disputations against his, um, his uh, the professor of mathematics of, uh, of Frankfurt. You see, it's very explicit, the criticism is, disput this one is a disputationem antiplacentinianum, for instance. So the, the target is clear, the enmity is there. And this is the last text by Placentinus of this controversy over the stellar origin of life. Um, it's a philosophical dissertation, a dissertatio philosophica, as well as the earlier ones, uh, on Cartesian method here. And the Cartesian method is about explaining how scientific certainty can be achieved through, through the card. What I'd like to point here is not the Cartesian epistemology issue, but rather the, um, the dedicatees. Again, we are in a court setting, not anymore in the Brandenburg one, the dedicatees, and the most important one is um, Raimondo Montecuccoli, who was the, the most important uh, general of the Imperial Army in the war with Sweden. So it's days of war with Sweden, uh, Northern Europe is in turmoil due, due to, to the different armies running through the country. Uh, Placentinus gets in contact with, with uh, important Kidiarkoi, as he calls them, generals, commanders of the Imperial Army, and he dedicates to them this text, which is a sort of uh, less word of the controversy. I'd like to point to that as, um, as a, an early modern tactic, at least very much employed by Placentinus, to end academic disputations through the protection of some powerful uh, authority. When he had troubles with his colleagues in Frankfurt, it was enough to have the protection of the, of the local uh, prince. But in the case of two universities having issues with each other under different jurisdictions, um, I suppose it was important to get a higher support. And the higher support in this case is from from the imperial court instead of the of the Brandenburg or Saxony one. Yeah. Friends <laughs> in high places. <laughs> yeah, uh, you see, um, I, I think it's uh, this is also a very complex intellectual biography. You have these high located patrons um, 
disputations on various scientific, natural, astronomical, cosmological topics, and also all sorts of means to, to carry on the controversy from, uh, from university disputations to letters to patrons to the reclusion and exclusion of a person like Placentinos as a, as a mentally uh, sick uh, person at the very end of the, the whole polemic. So we can say he lost in the end, but by very unexpected means, at least. And so this, this is one, one case that I, I really wish to, to show you the, the, the stellar origin of life. Because even if it's not astrology, strictly speaking, it's about distant action of the stars. And, and this is another case, also a relevant one, is physics and astrology applied to winds, comets, and novae. Mm -hmm. Pacentinos discusses uh, comets, novae, and winds and explains them, as I said, through mechanic principles. And the mechanic principles are derived basically from Descartes-Tidal theory. It's a mechanic one. Descartes doesn't deny the action of the moon, mm -hmm. but he thinks it's a sort of the moon exerts a pressure on the, on the particles of matter, and this pressure pre um, gets transmitted to the waters of the Earth, and the waters of the Earth uh, are moved according to the uh, to the regularities of the of the sea tides. So doctrine that was traditionally astrological. I mean, if you think of Albumazar and the importance that sea tides had for um, for defenses of astrology in throughout the centuries. Here we have the paradoxical case of a mechanization of of tides that might be used as an anti-astrological argument. There is no distant action, it's uh, particles in motion, uh, reused by Placentinos as the sound physical explanation for distant actions, uh, including astrological ones. So this is um, another German text in which he discusses C-tides according to um, Cartesian philosophy and on the basis of these principles he comes to his physical and astrological report on the tempest that I showed you at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. yeah. Again a German speaking publication accompanied also by discussions with famous scholars of the day like Hevelius in Gdańsk. There are some letters that are preserved in the archives of an exchange with Hevelius uh, that was very precious for Placentinos because Evelius observed the Nova that he himself, Placentinos, could not observe. And according to Placentinos' interpretation, the Nova that escaped his sight but was observed by Evelius was the ultimate origin and cause of the winds that he was explaining also through his astrological charts. Um, the idea is sort of a mechanic one. Once a star disappears and becomes through the so becomes a nova and then disappears the the disappearance of the star creates a huge motion of particles in the cosmos that gets transmitted to the earth and has consequences like winds okay <laughs> the, the, okay yeah uh, as um it's uh, it's it's a mechanical account for connections that were uh, that were given in different contexts yeah um we, one could really investigate astrological reports. This is one of them. Huh? And seeing how the connection was made by, 
by other other authors between starry phenomena and what um, what is called um, astrometeorology, for instance. Um, plus, Evelius himself was not happy to be published. The letter I showed you was published by, or the correspondence was partially published by Placentinus in his astrological text on the winds. Evelius was not happy about that. Evelius himself was no supporter of astrology, and was part of a network of astronomers and natural philosophers who were uh, skeptical about that. Uh, Evelius was really unhappy of seeing his letter published without uh, asking in a book uh, by Placentinus, seeking again for authoritative voices to, to bring forward his, um, yeah. his um, ideas. See, this is, um, <clears throat> this is the, uh, the Tempest horoscope mm -hmm. of the Tempest of 16 November 1660 accompanied by a various observation of the nova and the physical explanation of it. And here you are my third case of astrological uses by Placentinus, um, the political use of astrology. So Placentinus um, is com was uh, convinced that, um, that the, the correct interpretation of those phenomena should have a civil and political meaning too. It's not uncommon in the astrological tradition. Um, in Placentino's case, uh, he um, he called for uh, for tolerant a tolerant politics in years of furious religious wars. So he thought that uh, the occultation of Aldebaran and the comet that uh, of 64-65 that he discussed in the text I showed you. Uh, should be seen as an admonishment to the rulers of Europe to uh, to practice a new form of politics, uh, very much a tolerant one. So you have this element that is part of uh, Placentino's commitment to political issues, for also for personal reasons, we can imagine was uh, involved uh, from his own family. Um, and also it's part of his interpretation of the, uh, the astrology. He wrote on this with Lubinetsky. Here you have a portrait of Lubinetsky. Uh, this person was a Polish aristocrat, a Socinian that flew from, uh, from Poland in the years of the Swedish uh, war. Since the Socinians were suspected of supporting the Swedes, they were then um, banned from Poland and, and Lubinetsky sought refuge in, uh, in Hamburg and in Denmark. In these days, he started to collect um, uh, reports and informations about the comet of 64-65. And among the correspondents, there was also his correspondence, there was also Placentinos, whose letters are included in the Theatrum Cometicum of 1668. In these letters, Placentinos and Lubinetsky discuss uh, the legitimacy of astrology. Placentinus defines it, Lubinetsky uh, expressed his doubts, even though in a moderate manner, so respectful of his addressé, but pointing to the fact that many of the correspondents of his network would not be ready to, um, to support uh, Placentinus' astrology. Not, it's not the problem of Descartes plus astrology, it, was, uh, it started being a problem of astrology itself. 
And I conclude with this image, the last one I'd like to show you. Um, it's, it points to the eschatological uh, dimension of Placentino's uh, analysis. Um, Placentino's uses the car to argue that nova, stars, planets, and the sun are basically homogeneous bodies in the universe. Oh. Stel stars can be transformed into comets, and uh, comets can be transformed into planets. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's and, much like Pneuma, the Stoics had this idea, you know. Everything was made of the same substance. The only difference was the kind of the concentration of the Pneuma, of the substance. Mm -hmm. Is it the same idea? In fact, the idea of the fluidity of the heavens uh, bears a strong Stoic um, legacy in the 16th century. Uh, here we have uh, the cosmological principle of homogeneity uh, that is very much part of the Cartesian cosmology. Before Descartes, we, we have Giordano Bruno as a defender of cosmological homogeneity. And the fluidity, of course, it's, it's very much connected with cometary discourses. Yeah. In Descartes, you have this particular theory that, that uh, the sunspots, the one observed through the telescope by Galileo and others, um, are signs of the possible darkening of the sun. And here you have the case in which the sun or a star mm -hmm. becomes completely darkened. Mm -hmm. And the moment in which a star is completely darkened, it's, it's a nova. Mm -hmm. uh, so the nova is a darkened star in which the, the spots, the starry spots or the solar spots have, have covered all of, uh, the whole disk. At that point, the star starts to move and abandons its own system and traverses the other systems. And through this motion, um, it becomes visible to other spectators in the world in the form of a comet. Mm -hmm. In some cases, these comets can become uh, planets, so be co-opted in another system as planets, additional planets. And, and this is relevant for two reasons that I would like to stress. One is um, we can connect the card here with uh, with the scatological considerations. The sunspots are signs of the end of the world. Particularly strong winds that are interpreted astrologically, uh, since they are connected with phenomena like the, the birth or the end of a star and the birth of the birth, so to say, of a nova or the birth of a, co a new comet. Um, they are harbingers of. Uh, of bad news, including the, the end of the solar system, that is the end of our world. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is the the this is a very interesting element to add, not to the political dimension, because it's uh, it, it it gives one um, one additional. The other consequence is a consequence for astrology mm -hmm. that Placentinus discussed briefly briefly in some of his letters. Uh, that is, if comets are planets, should we include them in the in the in the, in the horoscopes? Okay. And he says yes. So that's that's uh, that's his answer. So uh, he um, at least theorizes a reform of astrology, including uh, new insights coming from Cartesian philosophy. Yeah. And this one is a very interesting one, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. A very interesting. Yes, and the way they interpret uh, things that are already known, but uh, mm -hmm. not in this context. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because um, that's one of the 
questions as of uh, I have always uh, in my mind with comets is exactly when they shift uh, a sublunary phenomenon yeah. to a, a celestial phenomenon, then it acquires a different nature. So how does that integrate into astrology? And we know that at this time we have immense quantity of, of details on comets and interpretation of comets. So what is the consequence of it being recognized as a celestial body and not as a sublunary phenomenon? And that's something it's never really discussed fully, uh, at least for uh, by any uh, author that I, I know of. And it's interesting that he's making mm. the point here through, uh, of course, a Cartesian lens, but, but still he's making the point this is a different reality so if it's a celestial body it has a different statue uh, than equivalent to the planet in this case yeah yeah i i i completely agree i think the the more general question is when there are shifts in in theories about the cosmos of course but of nature or even specific aspects of nature how does it affect um well-established disciplines or theories can they be adapted are they rejected are they transformed um, a typical case, a similar case to me is the case of, uh, of the, um, of heliocentric theory. So when the heliocentric theory gets introduced, uh, how uh, does it affect astrology? In what form a new celestial order, is it a problem or is it not a problem for, uh, for a discipline like astrology or connected disciplines like medicine and so on? Uh, I think this is question that more or less was at least raised and uh, addressed by many scholars. It still remains a, a, a puzzling one. The question about what happens to astrology with the homogenization of the cosmos is an additional one. I agree. It's also very, very interesting one. Yeah. Uh, another, another interesting, uh, well, first of all, thank you for this. This is extremely interesting and told not only the uh, technical part, mathematical or astrological, but shows mainly the interconnection between political context and religious context and scientific context and everything uh, interacting together. This is mm -hmm. very, very interesting. My, uh, my question is, um, this is already 17th century and then 18th century. So uh, it's when astrology is becoming, is declining, so to say. Um, I wouldn't say it died because it's still there, but it entered into a coma or something like that. And uh, one of the reasons, not the only one, but one of the reasons, and we discussed this a lot between us, of this decline is the, the fall, so to say, of the Aristotelian system. Mm -hmm. And this, this is my, my, my question, this provides an alternative. And it was very much into the mood, into the zeitgeist of that time, because it's kind of mm -hmm. really like it fits perfectly, but it didn't actually, uh, apart from a few people like this, uh, Pacentius and Gadois and other people, but it did not replace in, I mean, in astrology, mm -hmm. it, it didn't replace the Aristotelian yeah. decaying system because by then it was a king. And this would be, for me, it would be the perfect candidate to, I don't really, personally, it's not my taste, but mm -hmm. I understand that it would be one the, of the, yeah, one of the good candidates a to, very good candidate. to replace but it as an explanatory system for astrology. Mm. Was it? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, on, 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 on the other hand, also the, I mean, the, the connection between Aristotelianism and astrology 
um, is also a historical product. So the, the, the merging of the two elements uh, is not necessary on the one hand. You, I mean, we have in the early modernity many cases of anti-Aristotelian, anti-astrological minded Aristotelians. Yeah. Yes, yes, mm. yes. There are also very interesting cases in Northern Europe. Um, uh, there is a group of Aristotelians um, very critical of astrology uh, um, um, gathered around the, that humanist in Wrocław, in Breslau, uh, Dudit Bardellati. Um, and they corresponded with Tycho. And Tycho had a lot of troubles um, convincing them uh, to accept his, <laughs> his, uh, his world conception. And at some point he conceded to them that they didn't need to support astrology to support his planetary system which shows that these Aristotelians were, uh, were making the opposite uh, connection. Now, we as Aristotelians are not going to endorse, uh, but you're right, as a cultural system, that's really what, what, what we have. Mm -hmm. And Placentinos is certainly doing the attempt to, uh, to establish or to, yeah, to, to construct an astrology, perhaps even revise it in some form. Uh, based on uh, on a rational and empirical science. I say rational and empirical because it's exactly what he claims. When Lubyanetsky says, we're not going to support you on this, or probably you will receive a lot of criticism, he says, why? That's rational and empirical, how a sound science should be. And find it very interesting. And so on the other hand, I mean, if we are going to address the problem of the decline of astrology, um, I think that, that there are really multi there are multiple factors, and altogether, probably it's it's that's why I also point to the social settings, the religious ones. I think that that all plays a role in the unfolding of the historic drama, if you like. Um, we have religious elements. I think they are, for a long time, even more important than the strictly philosophical and and natural philosophical, let's say, scientific ones. Yeah, yes, it's very complex. It's not just one, but um, one of the main <clears throat> sorry, one of the main criticisms would be, of course, the uh, how do you say the licitude of astrology being licit? Can it be practiced uh, according to religious principles? But the other one would be also. Um, is does it, it work? Yeah, is it does it work? Science? And is of course, there are knowledge? other other elements. Also, even the popularization of astrology, it made it very simple. And uh, well, a, a lot. It's it's really a very complex, complex situation. That's why I began my question mm -hmm. by um, talking about all this intricacy between political and real, uh, astrological and religious and all these elements mm -hmm. together. But anyway, it, it is. This would be, um, for me, if I was living in the 17th century and wanted to defend astrology, I could probably um, have a look at least at this idea, mm -hmm. just because it provides another system uh, apart from Aristot Aristotelianism. But anyway, mm -hmm. astrology doesn't need Aristotelianism to work because you can see in other, in other um, civilizations like in India, we don't have this. We don't have this. Uh, there is another interesting case um, to me, also 17th or late 16th, early 17th century, Campanella's astrology. Hmm. Uh, that was quite influential for a while. Um, that was a sort of Neoplatonic Telesian 
natural philosophy supporting his astrology. He was also very critical of Aristotelianism, both in natural philosophy and in, in theology. Uh, still a convinced Catholic and is a keen supporter of astrology on the basis of very different uh, natural principles. So that, could, that, that would be also sort of, of candidate for an alternative natural philosophy of, um, of astrology. Oh, the 17th century, I would probably go for Campanella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's, and uh, yeah, he is an amazing figure, really. Um, the the other question, the decline, um, or connected to that, does it work? Uh, I think the the it, it's also the pro, the point of how the certain discipline and practice is ingrained in this in a cultural system or in a scientific system more strictly. Um, I suspect that one of the realms in which astrology was fundamental and could not be renounced, even after the condemnation by Calvin or by the Catholic Church, uh, is, um, is medicine. So the history of medicine, in my view, is also very important uh, to reconstruct the history of astrology and its decline. So until astrology is part of medicine, uh, it's... I, I would say as a, in, the, in the cultural system it cannot be renounced because you know how can you marginalize medicine um, no? um, whereas I, so the other question to me the question that I'm really fascinated about is not very much the marginalization but the legacy uh, that's what I'm, I'm much more interested in the history of science um, that is I was once asked you know um, so what what was astrology's contribution to the modern scientific world? Uh, so like, you know, sort of scientist, uh, but, but straightforward question. And then I thought, okay, let, let me find pieces of science of today's, in today's world that come from that, uh, from that context. And uh, I think there are several, uh, no. sometimes not acknowledged. An important one to me, just to mention for the sake of discussion, the important one is for me, sea tides, tidal theories. The, the, the legacy is clear and, and direct. Another one is um, Newtonian physics. Mm. So, if, you know, the, the passage from zoological conceptions, the Gilbertian Keplerian world physic, physics, uh, and to the Newtonian, it's, it's a process. Its roots, its roots are in astrological debates. That's clear. I'm not claiming that Newton's sciences, but he, but he was very much suspected by his contemporaries because it revived certain ideas that were considered to be um, by necessity part of the astrological uh, world conception. Mm -hmm. And perhaps also meteorology and the understanding of atmospheric phenomenon. It has until the, the 18, early 18th century, a lot of connections with astrology. And something else that has not been studied in, I mean, it's, it's been pointed out, not really studied, is um, the, the legacy of astrological thought in the, in the social sciences, in particular in economy, but not only in economy. Think of, I mean, of course, it's complex intellectual um, um, structures. Um, the idea that astrology, that's a Melanchthonian, typical Melanchthonian idea. Astrology is the science of the stars. The stars are ruled by God and his providence. Therefore, astrology is the science of God's providence. Mm -hmm. We can read through the stars, the unfolding of human history or important aspects of the unfolding of human history. And so we have 
this close connection between stars and human history. And that's something I would say that even after astrology, so to say, uh, remains a very important idea. Think of uh, Adam Smith's invisible hand or, or the, the, the key terms of economic thought mm-hmm. you know, from crisis to the uh, conjuncture. And that, that's, that's really, it comes from there. Mm-hmm. It's been pointed out, not really studied. I would be very curious to see how, how these words were, uh, were adopted, received and adopted and transformed into, into disciplines that are, that are uh, on our daily news, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because people think uh, when they look at astrology from the exterior, they think oh, astrology, astrology is just uh, calculating a few horoscopes for babies or something. But it isn't. It's like it's so much ingrained into mm-hmm. the culture. The mentality of astrology is very important. The other thing that that question has, like what has astrology done for us? Because that's the question. Um, well, um, if we try to fit astrology into our 21st century frame of mind, it's not fair, not for us, not for astrology as a cultural phenomenon, because it has to be understood in its own context, which is extremely complex, multicultural, and uh, it's very, very complex. But um, it, it, what is implied i think and tell me if i'm reading too much in it um is that um either astrology has something to give us in our mentality it fits into our mind frame otherwise it's not valid well it's the same to say you could say you could say the same about poetry or music or other phenomena it's just a cultural phenomena it's not just a mm-hmm. practice it's not just people uh, calculating horoscopes it's so much more it's a mentality so if it doesn't fit um the 21st century mind frame or if it it cannot be reproduced in a laboratory because it can't and it shouldn't be so if this makes it um uh, somehow useless or not no, I, I completely i completely agree yeah. I, I was I was sort of dissecting astrology, uh, you know, in the in the last this, uh, in my last considerations, just to you know, to pinpoint no, no, certain. But I, in general, in general, I completely agree with you. It's uh, the, I mean, in general, history of science and history of culture, uh, or of cultural forms of cultural expressions, from literature to religion to um, to philosophy and the sciences is a problem or an issue to me at least of uh, how they are integrated in a in a cultural whole also including its material dimension not only the the mental and of course it's it's about uh, what functions certain ideas have certain sets of ideas certain disciplines how they are related to the others and apart from the functions which is a bit mechanistic also the actions they have Mm-hmm. Uh, why people embrace certain ideas, what do they do with these ideas, what they expect, what they do in reality, and so on. Mm-hmm. I fully agree. Uh, it's, it's not about... Uh, of course, there is always... I don't even dare saying the risk of anach- anachronism. Um, we tend to, to search in history answers for what is of uh, concern to us. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. a certain degree of distortion is is the i mean it, it what makes history healthy because <laughs> it makes yeah. it relevant to us <laughs> i was also thinking going a little bit uh back um 
it's also i think astrology in terms of science is also provided um a motivation a background motivation to develop certain certain skills and certain understandings uh, of nature because there is this need either to um, improve technical uh, technical outputs to understand better how, how certain conjunctions and how certain configurations will occur um, and it has that interpretative um, drive that somehow impels knowledge to, to progress and to move uh, even if then it, it diverts from, from, from its original purpose but I think it also has that important function uh, to, to motivate and to serve as a... Yeah, no, I, 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 sure, sure, I agree. I mean, there is this, um, let me say, if I can, more psychological dimension or motivational one, but it's also about practice in the stricter sense, not just, you know, the psychological motivation, but also what you do with, with, uh, with, uh, with, with the technique, with certain knowledge, um, the, the context of practices that imply astrology, I think, are very important, as well as in many other sciences. Science, the pure pure science per se, is a sort of very abstract thing, uh, but actually, science is always part of the society and the culture. So, I think it's very legitimate to ask questions on how science serves our societies or served our societies in the past. And and then I agree with you. Um, we can see the the psychological dimension, the, the motivational one, and I would say also the, the very practical one. Mm -hmm. So what did um, to stay with our example, a physician do in the 16th century with astrology? For what purposes to cure what uh, what diseases with what outcomes? And that's that's really what makes our uh, understanding of past science alive to me mm -hmm. and it, it tells a lot about our science of today <laughs> yeah. and our uh, interests today because we ask what we are interested in about what we are interested in most well, it is it is a very interesting phenomenon <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so uh very much for yes. this yeah thank and you so much yeah, it was very interesting. It's always nice to, to see this, these um, less known perspectives. Yeah. Uh, and I think this this moment in history is quite critical where they're rethinking and, and trying to find alternative explanations to a lot of phenomena and astrology being one of them. And it's, it's interesting to, to, to have this perspective. And, as well. and in your presentation, you raised a lot of questions, not only technical, of course, also, but in general, this context, mm -hmm. all the, the interaction between all these um, elements in in, a, in the context of astrology is very, very interesting. So thank you very much for this. Thank you for the nice conversation. And, and yes. looking, I'm looking forward to looking at the other interviews, more interviews, and to continue the conversation. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. of course. <laughs> we will re reschedule very soon. Thank you. Ciao. <laughs>